Parenting is often lived in the extremes. It's either great joy or chaotic overwhelm. In one moment you're nailing it and the next you're losing your cool. I want to help you find your way to the messy middle, to a place of balance. You see, balance is a verb, not a state of being. It is a thing you do, not a thing you are. It is an action, a process, a series of micro-corrections that you make each and every day to keep yourself feeling centered. We are never truly balanced. We are engaged in the process of balancing. Hello, I'm Dr. Laura Froyan, and this is the Balanced Parent Podcast, where overwhelmed, stressed out, and disconnected parents go to find tools, mindset shifts, and practices to help them stop yelling at the people they love and start connecting on a deeper level, all delivered with heaping doses of grace and compassion. Join me in conversations that will help you get clear on your goals and values and start showing up in your parenting, your relationships, your life with open-hearted authenticity and balance. Let's go. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Balanced Parent. I'm Dr. Laura Froyan, and I'm here with Dr. Shimi Kang, and she is going to be talking with us about um, tech use, kids' brains, and how to have a balanced kind of whole child healthy approach to tech. And I'm so excited to have you here. So Dr. Shimi Kang, tell us more about who you are and what you do. Well, I'm so excited to be on this podcast. I love the name. First of all, it's so important to have this focus on balance. Um, It's this thing that we kind of talk about, but I say simple is not easy. It sounds simple to say, oh, I'm going to be a balanced parent, but it is not easy. Um, It sounds simple to say I'm going to sleep and drink enough water, but like 90% of us parents are chronically sleep deprived and chronically dehydrated. Right. (laughs) Um, So I say knowing is not doing either, even though we all know to sleep and drink water, we're not doing it. So Thank you for your work. Um, I think it's really important work for parents and families um, and a whole generation. So my background is I am a uh, psychiatrist. So I'm a specialist in mental health. I'm a medical doctor. And then I went on to do uh, specific research in um, the adolescent brain, actually, and in the area of addiction, which I think is super interesting because the young brain under 24 is exquisitely sensitive. Um, it's hardwired differently. I say it's a brain under construction. Uh, and from that work, I really became quite interested in motivation, health, happiness, uh, what leads to not just mental health issues, but what leads to our children really optimizing um, their health, their happiness, who they are. Uh, of course, I'm a mom of three. So I have a 14-year-old, 12-year-old boys and a 10-year-old girl. Uh, so I'm really in the thick of it all. And I see parents from all walks of life and young people. It's been about 20 years that I've been doing clinical work and research. And I've written a couple of books. Uh, one was called The Dolphin Parent which is the science of intuitive parenting, um, trying to cut through all the noise of all the metaphors of what not to do. And my latest book is called The Tech Solution, Creating Healthy Habits for Kids Growing Up in a Digital World. Well, so I feel like I can't leave the intuitive parenting piece without mentioning it because I know lots of folks in my world 
come looking for podcasts, for parenting podcasts, looking for the right answer, the kind of looking from the outside, trying to get somebody to tell us what to do. Um, so often that they have kind of ideas from their own childhood about what they don't want to do. But they don't know what to do. And I love that you put out a book that tells us kind of how, like how to get back in touch with what's instinctual, what's intuitive for us and what kind of be able to trust ourselves. Yeah, that's great. So good. But I know lots of parents around the world right now are finding out what their kid's school is going to look like for next year. And for lots of us, we're facing an upcoming school year with kids using an unprecedented amount of tech, a lot of screen media. So I'm in a couple of groups for academic mamas, mamas who have um, their PhDs, um, or MDs and um, are in academic settings. And the, some of the approaches to virtual learning that I'm seeing for like first and second graders is eight hours a day on screens. And I know lots of people in my community and um, online and kind of across the world are concerned about that. And I was just kind of curious, like, can you help us like figure out like what is good for kids? Um, what is too much? How can we have a balanced approach? Right. Such an important question. And I think all parents, you know, this is really a, a defining issue of a generation. It really is the pandemic and how we are dealing with the um, rapid change in our lifestyles. And, um, you know, our relationship with technology is key. Uh, what I say, and I talk about, I open up the book, but I give the metaphor of a fire. Um, in the sense, I say technology is an innovation similar to, let's say, the last big innovation in human history, or maybe the first one is fire. And I'm sure our early human ancestors were sitting there thinking about wow, you know, if our kids learn how to use this um, innovation, if they learn how to use fire, they can be safe at night, they can conquer new territories, they can cook their food, life will be easier. But if they don't know how to use it well, they can burn themselves, um, destroy villages. And it is a time of uncertainty. And, and we have a lot of feelings about tech. And I talk about technology being the fire of our time. If we don't teach and guide our children and ourselves towards using it in a healthy way, we will get burned and there is harm there. Yet, if we don't um, teach them, we shelter them from it, they will fall behind. There is no doubt technology is absolutely needed for accessibility of knowledge, innovation, and 21st century success. So let's first understand that this very powerful innovation has pros and cons, um, and we've been there before. So what, what do we do about it? Well, my approach is really saying we have to go beyond the idea of screen time. That was happening even before the pandemic. Now we really have to go um, and understand that this isn't about two hours or limiting time. It's really about now a deeper conversation in terms of the quality of our screen consumption. And I say we have to understand technology consumption the same way we understand food consumption. There's healthy food, there's junk food, and there's toxic food. And we start saying these words and teaching young children very early, like two, three years old. We talk about junk food and healthy food. We need to have the same paradigm with technology. What are we consuming? What is it being metabolized into? How can we sort out what's healthy and junk and tech um, and toxic and um, guide our children towards healthy habits around their tech consumption, which is going to be happening all day long, several times a day, just like food. So that's really the premise of the tech solution is going deeper into the neuroscience 
of how we metabolize our experiences. Okay. And so we in my family have a similar approach to tech and we actually talk about it like we do food. So we talk about foods as growing foods and play foods, that all food has a place, all food is you know, has a purpose in our lives. Some of it serves our bodies, some of it serves our joy. Um, and same for technology and like screen usage, that there are some that is, you know, just for pure in- entertainment. Sometimes it's for learning and then we have to have a balanced approach with it. So I think that that's really great, but I am really interested in like, what does the neuroscience tell us is good for kids? What, like, what is the junk tech and what is the good, te- you know, the healthy tech? Like what, what do we need to be looking out for? Right. Yeah. So important. All of that. So I really, I talk about five ingredients of metabolism. So just like we understand healthy carbs and good fats, bad fats, there's five basic general uh, metabolites, let's say of technology. So the first is um, dopamine. Let's talk about dopamine. So dopamine is like sugar. We need sugar to survive. Sugar is our reward. It keeps us going in the short term, but if all we're using and sustaining is sugar, we have a lot of health issues. So dopamine driven tech is what I call the junk tech in the sense of it's technology that gives us just dopamine without those healthy neurochemicals of endorphin, oxytocin, serotonin, which I call healthy tech. I'll get to that in a moment. But the dopamine driven junk tech would be very similar to junk food. A little bit's not gonna kill you. So, you know, some chips and pizza and soda pop on a Friday night isn't going to kill anyone. But if that's all you're consuming day after day, now you have health issues. So junk tech is mindless scrolling. It is uh, mindless social media, mindless video games, really anything um, that is dopamine driven, little hits without the social bonding, without the self-care, without the innovation and creativity that tech can offer. So that kind of tech we want, just like junk food, we want to limit and monitor it. What we want to be very careful of is what I call toxic tech. Toxic tech is any tech that metabolizes into cortisol. Cortisol is our stress neurohormone. And that could be any tech that is stressful, meaning any tech that leads to prolonged sleep deprivation, sitting, even the flex neck. When you think of the posture of our phone and we're constantly Mm -hmm. looking down, that flex neck, our neurons don't know why our neck is flexed. We're not looking at people and we're not moving. It thinks we're in a cave hiding from a predator or a hurricane and it'll fire cortisol. So- uh, Wait, hold on. That's blowing my mind. Yeah. That makes so much sense. Oh yeah. And so that totally activates our nervous system in a, into a stress response, doesn't it? Exactly. Yeah. And it's, I think the neurobiology of who we are is so important. And yeah, when you see teenagers, they're like, or young kids, you know, they're sitting on the floor or whatever, they're all hunched over. They're not moving. They're not looking at people and they're in this crouched posture. Well, what is that message to our nervous system? It's like, mm. I can't move. I can't see people. I'm lonely or I'm isolated and um, yeah. I'm hiding. So yeah, so that's cortisol. And those are the hidden stresses of tech I talk about. So flex necks, crouch posture, sit, sitting for long periods of time, sleep deprivation, and then the obvious culprits of stressful tech, which is cyberbullying. Mm-hmm. But even hate, people don't realize that when we read hate or Twitter or you know, that is highly stressful, even though we sometimes might be attracted to it in a certain way, like the mean spirited gossip that you might even see 
in celebrity tabloid type of stuff. You know, we are empathic beings and that actually is stressful to us. It gives us a sense our world is unsafe and unkind. So again, unconsciously, we don't know, our young people don't know that that's stressful tech. FOMO, I think one of the other hidden stresses is comparisons. Not everybody will know what FOMO means. Yeah. So FOMO is fear of missing out and comparisons. So, and that I think is Mm -hmm. very, the research shows it's very toxic, in particular, really interesting. There's a bit of a gender divide. Now, of course, gender is not binary, but um, in the research, we see young girls um, more Mm -hmm. sensitive to social media to comparison and we see a rise of perfectionism that is actually linked to anxiety and depression and body image disturbance. So we have to be careful in terms of comparisons. We don't really put enough focus on that, but that's actually one of the most toxic forms of tech. I think that's something that, sorry to interrupt you, but I think that that's something that parents are really susceptible to, that moms especially who are spending lots of time on social media, I would imagine that even though our brains aren't still growing or, you know, but we still, we have plastic brains. So they're always changing. You know, the chemistry is always changing in them. That probably is quite true for us. And it it makes me wonder like, okay, so if we're susceptible to that and our kids are susceptible to it, like how do we go about having good boundaries for ourselves so that we're modeling good boundaries for our kids? Yeah, it is so true. And, you know, like I said, the research supports that you mentioned moms. So this isn't specific to young girls, we see women in general with rising rates of perfectionism. And it's a constant barrage of imagery of, you know, perfect lives, perfect homes, perfect, you know, kids. And, you know, we kind of know it. Well, I'm sure it's fake and filtered. But again, our, we have a subconscious mind. Um, and that's how advertising works. It's constant programming. So even though we're like, oh, yeah, I really don't need you know, a Swiffer or another lawnmower or whatever, we know that it works over time that we uh, really get influenced by the constant messaging. And, you know, when we were young, probably, I don't know how old you are, Laura, but when I was young, the only images I had of perfect people were in the magazines and I knew they were a celebrity and I would see, you know, I'd get one magazine a month, if that, and I'd look at it and you only see the same images over and over and you live your life. And If you didn't go to a party, you didn't know anything about it. You just heard a bit about it. Now, young people, constant barrage of imagery, constant barrage of what they're missing. And it's really hard for their young minds. It does release cortisol. It does link to health problems and mental health issues. You're so right. You know, I, when I was a teenager, my mom was looking at one of my magazines and she was just flabbergasted by the bodies that she was seeing in there. And she actually pulled out one of her magazines that she had saved from when she was a senior in high school. And the body diversity that was in that magazine was so different than the body diversity that was in the magazine that I was looking at. And so even then, like back in the nineties, you know, in two thousands, they're still like, she, she commented on like, when I was a kid, I saw myself in magazines and there's no way for you to see yourself in these magazines because it's unattainable. And it so just was an interesting conversation. And I think I hadn't ever really extrapolated that to the vast big way kids are inundated with images and messaging now. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. You're so right. Your mom is so smart that she did that. My mom is a bit different. My actually, my mom actually grew up in a village and she can't read. She's fully illiterate. But I talk about in the dolphin parent, how despite all my education and Harvard and this and that, 
She was so much wiser than me because she parented from a place of intuition. Um, she was very grounded and she didn't get caught up in the noise. And even though I had all this education and was constantly reading parenting blogs and such, I was much more out of touch with those simple things that are so important. So it's really neat to think back to our own parenting. And, and um, it was actually one of the things that led me to write my first book was to be like, wow, how am I having so much trouble with my three kids when she successfully raised five with far fewer resources? What's changed? And how do we get back to that uh, understanding and intuition and common sense, right? Common sense yeah. is um, uncommon practice. I think like when we think like we have the right answer at our fingertips, like that there is the right answer and we get so flooded with other options and opinions that it is very hard to filter the noise and come home to what's true for us and what's true for our goals and our purpose and our values. You know, it's, it's so easy to get sucked in and have it, our true like voice be drowned out by the voices of everybody else. Exactly. And what's normal, right? Because the question is, if every other teenager is on their phone seven hours a day, then is that the normal? Um, And that's what we're actually, our research is showing is that, you know, um, adolescents are spending seven hours on top of homework on Mm. technology. So, you know, this, um, just to finish kind of the the neurochemicals, Mm -hmm. um, so cortisol is toxic tech. We want to avoid all that. Uh, We want to avoid the sleep deprivation, the bad posture, the FOMO, the comparisons, the cyberbullying. We want to limit and monitor the junk tech, the dopamine, mindless scrolling. And we want to consume, guide our children towards healthy tech. And the way I describe healthy tech is anything that allows you to care, connect, or create online. Mm -hmm. Um, And so if we go through those three C's of healthy tech use, the care I'm talking about, self-care, the neurochemical there is endorphin. So any tech that leads to, let's say, physical exercise, like a Fitbit, counting your steps, monitoring your sleep, mindfulness, meditation apps, all Mm -hmm. of that gives us endorphin, very powerful neurochemical of peace, bliss, Mm -hmm. happiness. Who doesn't Mm -hmm. want that? The connect is any tech that allows us to connect in a meaningful way. Social bonding is not socializing. So I'm talking about social bonding, Mm -hmm. ideally FaceTime, video conferencing, Zoom. We need to look at each other. We need to hear each other's voices. Research shows that is more beneficial at releasing oxytocin, that's our neurochemical of bonding and trust and love, than let's say a text message. Mm -hmm. And then the third is create. So any tech that allows us to be creative, to innovate. So masterclass, um, learning like podcasts like this, where you're learning new things, building a website, making movies, even have your child make a TikTok uh, video dance as opposed to just watch them. So really expressing our individuality and creativity, that's serotonin. That's our neurochemical of mastery, confidence, um, and again, happiness. So technology that leads to care, connect, and create is the tech we want to guide our children towards. And then like healthy food, we can be less worried about it. But again, you just, you still don't want to overconsume even healthy food. It has to be in balance with all the rest of life. So, you know, and being mindfully choosing and intentional with it, we should be doing that with everything that we do, food, tech, right? Yes, a good point, because we want to use tech and guide our children 
to consume tech in service of themselves for their own health, happiness, and success, not in service of a tech industry that wants them to use it mindlessly. Um, and I'm not saying it, that you know it's all the evil dark side. And um, the the tech industry itself was came out of it's a consumer industry. It wants people spending time on its product, and <laughs> dopamine is used by intention purposely called persuasive design. So on one end of the screen, you have an immature, underdeveloped brain mm. under construction. And on the other end of the screen, you have the most sophisticated neuroscience um, that we know. Uh, so it's really an unfair experience unless we really educate ourselves and our kids. Okay. And so then how do we level that playing field for our kids and for ourselves? Like how, like, how do we go about doing that? Raising kids who are intentional, mindful consumers of technology. Yeah. I think we want to start the conversations early. Some of the tips I give is first of all, delay tech use as long as you can. I have a lot of parents who are like so worried someone else's three-year-old can use their iPad. I'm like, there is no chance your child is going to grow up in this world and not be um, you know, using, know how to use an iPad. So let's not worry about that. Um, even the American Academy of Pediatrics, you know, I go a bit further and saying, you don't need, if you don't need tech, don't use it early on. Um, and then when you do introduce tech, um, try to build three key skills, life skills, and have some sense of mastery or understanding of them. These are emotional regulation. So your child has a general sense of understanding their emotions time management, they know how to move from one task to another, and in-person social skills. They know how to look at a person, speak, communicate. Ideally, you want to have those a foothold on those before you introduce a, a powerful device. And then when you do introduce it, you want to use it with your child. We don't just hand our kids a, you know, keys to a car. We first start talking about driving and then we drive with them and then we let them drive local roads and then we let them drive on a highway. So the same with these powerful devices, scaffolded each step of the way. For example, when my son got a phone at 13, he was allowed to text message family and friends for rides and homework first, that's it. He had to show mastery of that before he was allowed to have social conversations with friends. And then he had to show mastery of that before he was allowed to have any internet or data. So you want to scaffold it. So there's lots of tips and common sense, but again, it's simple, but not easy, right? You know, it's, it's just like guiding your children towards healthy food. It's simple, but it's not easy. And that's, we also have a crisis of, of diet consumption um, in our society as well. Yeah. And I think like in both areas too, this is one of the things that we have to be walking the walk, like, and not just talking the talk. So I think it's so easy, you know, we're parents, we can control our kids tech use by just simply taking it away. Right. But if we're not modeling self-regulation and mindfulness and intentional use of screen media and technology, it's pretty hard for, or it'd be pretty easy for kids to get mixed messages about that. So if our kids are seeing us doing the mindless scroll, you know, through Instagram or TikTok, then that's what they're learning. That when they, we give that level of attention to our technology, they, even the youngest kids get signals. Oh, this is something important. This is something that's important to the society and the culture that we're in. And I need to know about it. And I need to learn about what it takes to be a successful adult by watching my parent, right? Where we learn through modeling. And so I think it's important too 
really be aware of what we're doing with technology too. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so glad you said that. And, you know, and I use this metaphor of the dolphin parent, and I think it's, you know, hopefully a helpful metaphor because sometimes we become what I say, a shark or uh, the other term might be a tiger or a helicopter where we are overbearing, we're micromanaging, we're overprotecting, we're over-instructing, we're over-directing. And we know that doesn't work. It certainly doesn't work with tech issues. Kids go underground mm-hmm. and, um, and then they don't have the critical thinking skills that they need to really navigate this world. But we also don't want to be what's called the jellyfish parents, just like, oh, permissive, everyone's using it. I don't know what to do. I'm overwhelmed and are absent in it. When we take that middle approach and you think of the body of the animal, the dolphin, it's firm but flexible. So there's a firmness there, meaning that, okay, we're going to use tech to care, connect, and create. That's how I use tech. That's how I want you all to use tech. We're going to try to consume healthy diet, uh, healthy tech. We're going to limit and monitor our junk tech. You know, I'm going to watch Netflix tonight for three hours. I know it's my junk tech time and I get it. Um, Just like you are allowed, let's say, to play your video games and have that communication. Um, So there's a firmness there and a flexibility as well, shoulder to shoulder, moving forward together. And um, what's really important about the role modeling, though, is uh, I tell parents is don't feel that you have to mimic exactly your children though. So for example, I was at a parking lot with my kids and I was on my phone and my kids were calling me a hypocrite. And I said, oh my God, you're so right for calling me out. However, guess what? I'm actually paying our phone bill and I'm buying the groceries and I'm booking your dentist appointment. So I think communicate, I'm not communicating is so key. I'm not playing video games. I'm not scrolling social media. Mm -hmm. So I think we don't need to, we need to have tech part of our real life. And if we are modeling it in a healthy, reasonable way and communicating that to our kids, we can achieve both um, where we are using tech to our advantage, but also not kind of role modeling it in a negative way. Yeah, I love I love that. And I love being overt in our communications too. So something that I do with my kids is if I notice I'm getting caught up in scrolling, I will say out loud, Oof, I was just scrolling and I didn't even know how long it was. That wasn't good for me. My eyes hurt, you know, and like, I'll be like very overt in it, in setting those boundaries for myself, or I'm having trouble not checking my phone right now. I'm going to put it in the drawer, you know, like, and cause we have a drawer where our phones go during specific times so that we, they don't get in the way. Like we we're modeling very intentional, proactive boundaries with our kids. Um, that is so great. And I think um, that is so key because kids have a I call it a BS detector, especially <laughs> teenagers and I work with them. And anytime you start talking about tech, one of the first things they tell me is, well, my parents are hypocrite because they're on it all the time. And uh, so I, I do think we are just as prone to all these unhealthy habits of this powerful innovation and technology that it's important to really take care of ourselves and make sure we're on the right path um, because it can creep into our lives very easily. Very easily. And I mean, like we have to raise aware, mindful consumers in, in any, like, I mean, when we're walking through the aisles of Target and my kids are like, Ooh, I want that. And Ooh, I want that. I'm like, you are getting tricked. (laughs) You know, like they're, you know, the, the people made this package just to make you ask your, your mommy for it, you know, and, and there's times when I get tricked and they're like, Ooh, mom, you got tricked by that marketing, you know, like, it's like, 
I, it's just raising aware kids, like to be mm. conscious choosers. And sometimes we let ourselves get tricked by those things. We let ourselves get pulled in because it feels good. And we want a little dopamine hit. It just have to be, not all the time, have to be balanced, right? With it. Yeah. And that's where you said, you know, the overt communication is so key, right? And that, you know, and I think just speaking out loud, like you do, we're like, okay, I'm having my chocolate cake right now. I know it's full of sugar, which is the dopamine. And it's just like, you know, your video game time or my 10 year old watches these silly slime videos, but it's her little hit of <laughs> dopamine. It's her guilty pleasure. And just call it for what it is. Um, and yeah. it's really important. Don't demonize, don't vilify. Um, but just be very uh, clear that, okay, this is my treat. This is my junk tech. I got to monitor and limit it, but just like sugar, it can go overboard. And so I really hope, you know, and I think what people, sometimes they get scared when they hear all these neurochemicals, our kids know a lot. Um, they're learning more in the school system, uh, social emotional learning. They are hearing these terms, dopamine, cortisol. Mm -hmm. I think if we go a bit further and teach them what they want to need to consume, endorphin, oxytocin, serotonin, or just the idea of self-care, connection, and creation, they mm -hmm. can get that. Um, Absolutely. And, yeah. And the brain will be their lifelong companion. It'll be their tool that they, they need the owner's manual to, right? Like they need to know this information because like we, this is not going away. The technology is not going away. Marketers and, you know, the people who are designing things are going to keep un, like learning about our psychology and understanding how they can use it to benefit like their companies. And that's part of being in a capitalistic society. And that's it, not going to go away. They, they need to know about their brains and how their brains work Exactly. and how yeah, to use exactly. their brains to their benefit too. Yeah. yeah, it's not going away. Um, you know, we know the industry is about attention economy is, you know, what it's called. And it's been really interesting when I did the research for the tech solution book, um, we actually looked at patterns and among tech executives and what they were and you know, th there was this really skewed approach where their own children were not mm -hmm. allowed access, they weren't using phones, to the extreme where you're seeing like Waldorf schools, and which are great schools, but in where they're not even using any tech mm -hmm. because they know how powerful it is. There's a really interesting company called Dopamine Labs, which job it is to look at dopamine design and technology. And as an addiction psychiatrist, I found that so amazing that this term that I use, that we use to understand the brain is in a, you know, the title of a company designed mm -hmm. to do this. So um, we might as well learn and get informed. And, you know, we do have a mental health crisis um, in general already. And mm -hmm. in COVID, the pandemic, we're seeing loneliness rates really going up. And the WHO is looking at um, stress was declared the number one health epidemic of the 21st century. This was prior to the pandemic. I worked at the WHO years ago and the next prediction really is loneliness, which I say is another paradox. We've never been so connected yet. We've never been so disconnected. So all of these yeah. topics are coming together at this moment in time. I think so too. And I really appreciate that and that you're bringing this topic and, and talking about it so clearly and eloquently. I, I know lots of the people listening are a little bit of a kind of brain and research junkies too. They like to get nerd out on that stuff. So I think that they're going to really appreciate learning like the neurochemicals and the purposes that um, they serve. Um, I think that one thing that we haven't talked about yet, and I, I want to be respectful of your time, but 
I just, I know that lots of the folks in my community are lower tech or are concerned about not having too much tech and they're having lots of anxiety about what virtual schooling is going to mean for their kids' tech consumption and how to balance their kids, how to, how to not let it have negative effects on their kids and on their kids' behaviors. Because lots of the people in my community also have kids who don't respond well to technology use, uh, usage and inc it increases their anxiety or increases behavioral problems. And now school is being delivered that way and kind of how, like how they can protect their kids. Right. Yeah. Um, and every child is, I say, their brain is like a fingerprint, right? Every child mm -hmm. is unique. And so we really have to, as a parent, take that unique approach and understand that the teacher is trying their best to, you know, teach 20 kids or 30 kids or whatever, but they, and they're going to try to put your child's kind of learning style, but they just literally can't. So we have to, number one, be present, be aware and say, look, no one's going to be looking after my child's needs the way I am. Uh, number one. Number two, trust your intuition. If you feel your child is really struggling, trust that. And then start open dialogue with the teacher and say, look, what can we do? I just don't think this is working. What else is going on? For example, I have three kids. My older son has ADHD and dysgraphia. So writing is really hard for him. Online school has been really hard for him because he's like he's distracted by everything. The fridge, a dog barking. Mm -hmm. My other children, he goes and opens their door, finds out what they're doing, distracts <laughs> the whole family. Um, so I had to ask his teacher, you know, for some um, extra resource time, you know, a little, even 15 minute um, check-ins once a week made such a difference for him. I mean, he reduced his screen time, customized his approach a bit more. My daughter has dyslexia. It was very hard for her to do any reading online. So Again, um, the teacher helped do some audio recording so that she could hear the instruction as opposed to read it ahead of time or gave us um, pre um, like pre lessons to look at. Now, all of that sounds overwhelming, but if you kind of front load some of the problem solving, mm -hmm. I encourage parents to think of their child or children, each of them, what worked well for them prior to the fall, the summer, what can, uh, what can, what might work better communicate with the teacher. If you have the means, then I think some private coaching or tutoring is, um, might be helpful to, again, get things on the right start. Not every family has that means, uh, but some do. And I think that that, again, is um, allowing some uh, helpful resources there. And then any tech that allows for interaction. So you want what we know with remote learning, and I want to say remote learning, it's not online learning. So um, if you look at the homeschool community, they've been learning outside of school for a very long time, but it's mm -hmm. not all on the computer. No, the computer was just exactly, it was just yeah. facilitating lessons. And then the lessons were done at home in the kitchen, in the backyard on a balcony. So really make learning remote, not online. Take the, take the information and use it at home if you can. Uh, and try your best to, um, if your child is really struggling, then to kind of find workarounds around it. I think that that's so important. I think that, you know, I think it's easy for you and me. We're doctors. We have the weight of our degrees that we can kind of, and our expertise that we can throw around when advocating for our kids. But all parents are experts in their children. And it's, I really want to empower 
all the parents listening to advocate for your kids. If it's not working, I guarantee your teacher loves your child. Your teacher wants your child to succeed. Guarantee that they will be open to hearing your ideas, hearing what's not working and working with you to find something that will support them. I, I, I had to do the same thing with my oldest child. It was on like online schooling was not working for her at all. The assignments that she would be happy to do in person with her classmates around her, she was not willing to do at home. But at the same time, she spent hours a day reading. She spent hours a day writing, like things that interested her, not her writing assignments. And we were able to talk with her teacher and her teacher was just like, take pictures of what she's doing and send them and that'll all count. You know, like she was very flexible. And that was, I mean, as a high achieving person, that was hard for me to do, to be like, my daughter's teachers are assigning assignments and my daughter's just not going to do them and like accept that she just wasn't going to do it. But that was my, that was my work to do, you know, and I still had to advocate for her. And I want to encourage everybody to advocate for their kids, you know. Yeah, that's such a good story, Laura, because they think it gives, it opens the door to a brief conversation on what exactly are the skills our kids need for their success. And they were very different from when we were children, right? So I grew up, I went to medical school post pre-internet, to be honest. I had to memorize information. And now technology has actually brought us access to knowledge and we don't need to know the right answer as much as we need to know how to ask the right question. Mm -hmm. And there's a new skill set. I call it CQ, which is consciousness quotient. It's not IQ left brain or EQ right brain. That's a false debate. It's a full integrated intelligence of the 21st century sees the creativity, the collaboration, the communication, Mm. the critical thinking, and very importantly, contribution. So these are non-academic life skills and you don't need to be good at um, necessarily, you know, academic subjects to develop them. Our academic subjects are conduit to develop these 21st century skills. I call them future ready skills. We have a whole program that teaches these called Dolphin really? to young children. And that's where we're headed. You know, if you look at what, what are the keys to success, it's these non-academic life skills. So I think, you know, the pandemic has allowed us to really, you know, look further into these and say, okay, well, my child is creative and they can adapt. That is so important. I did a TEDx talk called what one skill leads to an awesome life six years ago. And the answer was adaptability because survival of the fittest isn't the fastest or the strongest. It's the one that can adapt to an ever-changing world. And that's exactly where we are right now. Absolutely. And that I think is the perfect place to end this conversation. There's nothing more complete than that. Yeah. So thank you so much for sharing this wisdom with us and having this conversation. Yeah. So thank you. I'm grateful to be on this show. Okay. So thanks for listening today. Um, Remember to subscribe to the podcast. And if it was helpful, leave me a review that really helps others find the podcast and join us in this really important work of um, creating a parenthood that we don't have to escape from and creating a childhood for our kids that they don't have to recover from. And if you're listening, grab a screenshot and tag me on Instagram so that I can give you a shout out. Um, and definitely go follow me on Instagram. I'm at Laura Froyan PhD. Um, that's where you can get a behind the scenes look at what balanced conscious parenting looks like in action with my family. And plus I share a lot of other really great resources there too. All right. That's it for me today. I hope that you keep taking really good care of your kids and your family and each other, and most importantly of yourself. 
And just remember, balance is a verb and you're already doing it. You've got this.